This episode is sponsored by TrueLearn, an exam prep company best known for their smart banks that turn your weak areas into your strengths. TrueLearn is the only company I trusted for Comlex Level 1 prep last year and Level 2 prep this year. Each TrueLearn practice question has detailed answer explanations and concise bottom lines for customizable studying. TrueLearn also has amazing USMLE smart banks, as well as subscriptions for shelf or comat exams. Go to TrueLearn.com and use one of my special discount codes I have for up to $35 off your subscription. Special discount codes can be found in the episode description. TrueLearn is the first line solution for excelling on exams. My name is Aubrey Ann Jackson, and this is First Line. Here to bring listeners of all backgrounds together to discuss whole body health and wellness. Through an osteopathic lens, First Line covers tangible ways to improve your health, hot topics in healthcare, the journey to becoming a physician, mental health, relationships, and even philosophy, all while holistically addressing the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. Hello everyone, this week I'm going to talk about UTIs and STIs, so that is urinary tract infections and sexually transmitted infections, which is an important topic and something that I've seen a lot during my OBGYN rotation this month. So let's talk first about UTIs. So when you hear UTI, it usually refers to infection of the bladder, which is also referred to as cystitis. And cystitis presents with urinary frequency and urgency, which means you have to pee quickly, the feeling comes on quickly, and you have to pee a lot. It can also present with dysuria, which means pain while urinating, hematuria, which means bloody urine, spotting, so vaginal spotting, suprapubic tenderness, which means that there is pelvic pain right over your where your bladder is. And then you can have a dyspareunia or pain during intercourse while you're having sex. And the most common cause of UTIs, the bacteria that is the most likely culprit, is E. coli. And E. coli is most common because E. coli is a natural colonizer of your rectum. And because in women there is pretty close proximity between the rectum and the opening of your urethra, then it is very easy for that bacteria to venture up. And I remember from my pediatrics rotation, we see that UTIs in girls are mostly caused because of poor hygiene. So they wipe back to front, for example. In women, a lot of times UTIs are caused by sexual intercourse. And the reason why UTIs are way more common in females than males is because our urethra is a lot shorter. So bacteria doesn't have to travel nearly as far as in men. And so treatment of UTIs is pretty straightforward. The Drugs that we usually want to use is nitrofurantoin or trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, which is also known as Bactrim, and then the last one that is usually used is phosphomycin. 
If you go to the doctor and they give you something called ciprofloxacin, also known as cipro or citraxel or siloxin, this is not the appropriate drug to use for UTIs. You want to instead ask for a drug that does not end in floxacin. These drugs that end in floxacin are called fluoroquinolones, and they are not as effective with treating UTIs, and they also have a ton more side effects than the drugs that I already mentioned. And this is something that changed in recent years. I'll especially see it a lot with older doctors that are kind of set in their ways. Not all older doctors, but some older doctors who are set in their ways. Or with some of the advanced practice practitioners like PAs or NPs. So if you are given a drug of fluoroquinolone, such as Cipro, something that ends in Foxacin, make sure you ask for nitroferentoin, phosphomycin, or Bactrim instead. It's going to work a lot better for you, and it also will decrease risk of side effects as well. And diagnosis is usually clinical, but your doctor might also choose to do a urinalysis just to make sure, and then start you on antibiotics, but get that urinalysis and even urine culture just to confirm that that's what you're dealing with. But usually uh, antibiotics can be started without all of these tests. Vaginas are full of bacteria, okay? And a healthy vagina is still full of bacteria, and usually you want the good bacteria, kind of like your gastrointestinal tract. So I like to refer to this as vaginal flora, and that's actually a scientific term, and really like that sounds like the flowers of the vagina, and really it just means the inhabitants of the vagina. So the species that you want to be dominant in the vagina is called lactobacilli, and you may have heard of that because people can actually take lactobacilli in order to improve their vaginal flora. And the reason why we want lactobacilli colonies in the vagina is because they compete with other organisms that you could have down there, including bad bacteria and also yeast, which is how you get yeast infections. Usually that's because the lactobacilli are being conquered. Basically, they lose their strength and the yeast take over, which is not what you want. So that's why you want really healthy lactobacilli. And Lactobacilli also maintain the pH of the vagina. So anytime you see like a douche or a gel that says that it restores the vaginal pH, no, you don't need that. Uh, you can take lactobacilli, but you don't need any of these things that are pH restoring. Maybe just use, if you need to wash down there, use things that are like pH neutral, but Often you don't need any pH correctors because the lactobacilli do the work for you. You don't want to scrub the lactobacilli away. They do a great job on their own. You don't need anything exogenously. You don't need to take anything additionally for it. So they maintain the vagina around a pH of 4, which is acidic. Vaginas do not smell the same. They also don't smell like flowers, and they're not supposed to smell like flowers. So if you're using any kind of product that's supposed to make your vagina smell really good, it's probably harmful because it's probably wrecking your pH. It's probably killing lactobacilli, and 
then when you don't use that product, that's when you're going to get smelly because the bad bacteria is going to win out. The yeast might even win out. Also, the scent of the vagina actually varies based off of where you are in your menstrual cycle, whether you've had sex recently because you produce different kinds of natural lubricants during intercourse, and then it also might change with your diet a little bit. And something that I wish I knew when I was first entering puberty, but I know now, and I think everyone should know, is that having some discharge from your vagina is normal. So just because you have discharge doesn't mean that it means anything at all. You'll have discharge throughout your cycle, and that's just a response to the hormones that your body is releasing throughout your cycle, especially during ovulation. Your discharge might even change from how it is normally. And so you really do need to know what is normal for you. You can even journal about it to write down kind of the the texture, the color of what you usually experience throughout your cycle. And you will know then if something really is wrong because you will see changes in in the texture or the color or even the odor of your discharge. And that's when you can go seek medical attention for it. So something that you might not know about unless you're in the healthcare field is that the vagina has various glands along the walls. And this is done to lubricate the vagina during sexual intercourse. And it's also meant to self-clean the vagina as well. And this is different from your sweat glands that you have other places in your body. It is a fluid that is unique to the vagina. And because it's not a sweat gland, it doesn't need to be cleaned with soap and water. So you should absolutely clean with soap and water in your pubic region on the outside, but you do not need to go inside the vagina because that really is internal and it cleans itself. Before moving on to sexually transmitted infections, I want to first talk about what vaginal discharge is supposed to look like. So this is called physiologic leucorrhea, which means normal vaginal discharge. It is usually white to clear and odorless. It consists of normal vaginal flora. Everyone should have bacteria in their discharge. Also squamous epithelial cells and cervical mucus. So it can have more of a sticky type of texture to it. So it can be watery or it can be a little sticky. And discharge is most commonly seen mid-cycle around days 10 to 14. And then also at the end of menses. And normal vaginal discharge should not be smelly and it should not be itchy. And if you go to the doctor and you think you might have any sort of infection, they can always look at your discharge under a microscope to confirm that it is normal discharge. So with STIs, they usually cause something called acute cervicitis. So that just means short-term inflammation or infection of your cervix. And usually with cervicitis, it leads to 
foul-smelling mucopurulent, which means it's a very mucousy white color of endocervical discharge, along with cervical friability, which means that your cervix gets very sensitive, so even just touching it will make it bleed. You can have spotting after intercourse. You can have vulvovaginal irritation, so irritation on the outside or the inside, so that can be pain or itchiness or both. Dysuria, pain while urinating. Dyspareunia, pain while having sex. But many patients can be asymptomatic, so they don't even have any symptoms. So the two types of organisms that are most commonly sexually transmitted are chlamydia trachomatis and neisseria gonorrhea. So your chlamydia and your gonorrhea. And treatment is mostly based on this clinical diagnosis of having this type of discharge, having pain while urinating, having sex, or just irritation. And then you'll be tested for confirmation with nucleic acid amplification testing, but usually treatment can be started without doing that. And chlamydia and gonorrhea are interesting because co-infection, so being infected with both at the same time, is very common. So usually the antibiotic treatment that you'll get is meant to treat both of those conditions. So usually they'll give you two different antibiotics. It's usually ceftriaxone and doxycycline. And cervicitis can also be caused by trichomonas vaginalis, uh, which would cause trichomoniasis. This is not a bacteria. It's actually a protozoan, and it usually affects women. It can be asymptomatic or it can cause short-term severe pelvic inflammatory disease at its worst. But usually it's somewhere in between. It presents with greenish-yellow purulent, so it looks like pus. It can be frothy, and it's a smelly vaginal discharge, along with irritative symptoms like that itchiness and that pain and irritation. It also presents with hemorrhages on the cervix that your doctor can see when he or she does a pelvic exam, and that's known as strawberry cervix. And there can also be redness on your vulva, so the outside, or your vagina on the inside. And it's actually diagnosed just with looking at your discharge under the microscope that will show trichomonads or the protozoan that swim around. And I've actually got to see this a few times throughout my rotations. A lot of women have this. It's not as common as gonorrhea and chlamydia, but it is pretty common. And you can also do nucleic acid amplification testing for that too. And the treatment is a pill that you take called metronidazole or flagell, and that's just a seven-day course of that. Then there's something called bacterial vaginosis, which is really just an alteration of the normal bacteria in your vagina. Normal bacteria is going to be lactobacilli predominant, 
but with bacterial vaginosis, it shifts to be mostly anaerobic bacteria and facultative aerobes, so just other bacteria that isn't the standard vaginal bacteria. And this discharge looks a little bit different. It's more of an off-white, kind of grayish, thin, so more watery discharge that is foul-smelling, often referred to as fish-like odor, especially after intercourse. So just to reiterate, normal vaginal discharge does not have a foul smell. It is not fish-like. Bacterial vaginosis is where you get a fish-like odor, and this is a diagnosis that needs to be treated. And it doesn't have to be from having sex. It can be by messing up your pH balance. And the pH balance usually... the Vagina is pretty acidic, below a pH of 4.5, but with bacteria vaginosis, your pH becomes more basic, it becomes higher than 4.5, and in that case, since bacteria function best under certain pH conditions, the lactobacilli don't do as well, but some of these other bacterias do a lot better, so that is how this condition is caused. But it is easily treated with oral metronidazole, that flagell, or clindamycin. And then there's something called candida vulvovaginitis or vulvovaginal candidiasis. And this is caused by candida, which is a fungus. And this is also known as a yeast infection. And this is caused by the candida species that overgrows and penetrates the cells of your vulva and vagina and causes inflammation. So this will cause vulvar pruritus, so itchiness on the outside, as well as the thick white vaginal discharge, often referred to as cottage cheese discharge, along with vulvar or vaginal erythema or redness. And then you can even get beefy red scaly plaques with pustules, almost like zits, that don't have to be directly on the red parts of, of your vagina. And this can also be diagnosed under a microscope of your discharge. And it can also cause pain while urinating as well because of the urine have in contact with the inflamed part of your vulva. And then there is something called condyloma acuminata, which are anogenital warts. And these are caused by HPV, human papillomavirus. And these appear as flesh-colored bumpy lesions that are on or near your genitals. And treatment can really vary. So the rest that I wanted to talk about aren't really sexually transmitted, but they do go along with findings that you can have around the vulva. So one is something called a Bartholin gland cyst. So these are caused by obstruction of the Bartholin glands that can then lead to the cyst or even an abscess. And what you'll see is one-sided, a soft, painless mass that is flesh colored and it's around your 
a vaginal opening, but it's towards your backside and it's on the side at the base of the labia majora or your outer lips. And if it helps, they mostly occur at the 4 o'clock and the 8 o'clock positions if you're looking in the mirror while facing forward, sitting, or laying on your back. And they can often lead to fluid release, either clear or white fluid, and they usually grow to be about 1 to 3 centimeters. And when they're really small, they usually don't produce any symptoms, so they're incidental or they don't really need to be treated. Your doctor might see them when they're examining you, but there's nothing really that you need to do for them. While the ones that are more than three centimeters might start to cause some discomfort, especially during sex or while sitting or even while walking around. And if a smaller one is bothersome, you can use warm compresses or SIDS baths. But when they do get larger, you can get your doctor to do an incision and drainage, especially if the lesion is painful. And there's other options too with that. And then abscesses can occur if that gland gets infected or the cyst gets infected. So if you do have a cyst, no matter what size, you want to make sure it stays clean to decrease your risk of having an abscess. And with an abscess, you will have this sudden worsening vulvar pain and also swelling. And you'll find it even more difficult to have sex, sit, or even walk around. And then there's other places that you can get cysts too. One of them is the Gardner duct cyst. And that is also the lateral, so the side of your vagina, but it's usually towards the the top or the front part of your vagina. So kind of the opposite end. And then there's also, you can get a skein gland cyst that is more closer to the opening of your urethra, just to the side of that. Thank you so much for listening. Again, I'm on Instagram at First Line Podcast. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash firstlinepodcast. You can reach out for any questions, comments, suggestions, feedback. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again.